turning heads with a dynamic performance against the Giants of Monday Night Football. Devin Witherspoon won his first Defensive Player of the Week award. Is that going to vault him into the favorite status to win Rookie of the Year this season? Nick Lee and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here on Blue Friday by my co-host, Nick Lee, and a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Tumwater, Washington, or Abbotsford, British Columbia. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks officially are on their bye week, so we don't have a game to dish out keys to victory for. We don't have picks to click, although we will be dishing out some quarterly reviews looking back at our picks to click to this point through the first four games. We've got a pretty complicated arbitrary system for scoring that we'll be going through and comparing our points in the first four weeks. And we're also going to play some fact or fiction looking at some statistical oddities through the first four games and deciding whether or not the player or group of players can sustain that production for the course of an entire 17-game season. It's going to be a really fun Blue Friday episode. Glad to have you on board. Let's get rolling. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Devin Witherspoon came into his rookie season with incredible expectations as a top-five pick, and some fans were disappointed that a hamstring injury cost him the entire preseason. He missed the season opener, but... He has started to show why the Seahawks drafted him fifth overall with a monster game on Monday Night Football, one defensive rookie of the week with seven tackles, two sacks, a 97-yard interception return for a touchdown, three quarterback hits. You name it, he pretty much did everything in this game for the Seahawks. And with that, Nick, he has now vaulted into second on FanDuel's odds to win defensive rookie of the year at plus 300 If he's going to continue making sacks, I don't know that's something we're going to see a lot of from him this year. But if he's playing some of the nickel, he's going to have his opportunities as a blitzer and obviously his ball skills, his instincts. These are the type of players we saw with Sauce Gardner last year that have a really good chance to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I mean, he was looking at the the leaderboard, the odds board before this game and, um, you know, saw the contenders for Defensive Rookie of the Year and didn't see his name really in the top five. And as Eminem once said, now this looks like a job for me because everyone just follow me. This We need a little controversy because it feels so empty without me. And the litter, on the leaderboard, that is Devin Witherspoon. And at the start of the season, the Texans, uh, Will Anderson and the Eagles, Jalen Carter, were the top two and, and at plus 500, plus 700. And Witherspoon was down at plus 1,100. And now those odds of you see are now at plus 300. And just looking at uh, some kind of the, the trends Corbin going through, because, you know, we see a, a plus 300 now, obviously with that game, he has just really increased his odds. After missing week one and seeing kind of uh, Jalen Carter burst onto the scene, um, his odds actually dropped to plus 2650 on September 19th for this for this award. So really has come on strong. Obviously, 
Um, and, and generally, pass rushers rack up more notable stats, and it's, it's easier for them to stick out and win this award. I, I, I did some research. Since 2000, so, so 23 winners of the award, just three defensive backs have won Defensive Rookie of the Year out of the 23. And a defensive back has never, in the history of the award, won it back-to-back years. And so the history is not quite on Devin Witherspoon's side with Sauce Gardner last year. Now, as you mentioned, if he keeps playing like this, all that, all those trends will just go up in smoke because he is just on a tear. And so obviously, yeah, the sustainability of some of the numbers we saw on Monday night are questionable at best, but it just put his full game onto display and doing it on, it's one thing to do it on a 1.25 PM local kickoff, you know, red zone's got four or five other games going and he does it then. It's another thing to not only do it on Monday night football, but do it in New York and just everyone watching the entire world watching um, that game to do it on that kind of stage really can put you on the map. And it's kind of how I felt like the Seahawks of old kind of rose to start him. They started doing some of that stuff on, in some of the primetime slots. And that's how you get your name on the map. So Devin Witherspoon doing that on Monday night football and it just absolutely springboarded his case to being second. And really, you know, we, Jalen Carter's going to have his chance. Will Anderson's going to have his chance to, to increase their odds with sacks. And uh, especially with, I think the Eagles are dealing with some injuries on the defensive line. So Carter should get a chance, but you like to, I think Devin Witherspoon has gone from kind of fringe, you know, behind the eight ball to squarely in the race. Yeah, and the thing is, you look at the three games he's played, he got beat for the flea flicker against the Lions, but there were a couple of fourth down pass breakups. So you saw some flashes. And then the Panthers game, Andy Dalton decided, I'm going to test you 13 times, and he got five completions out of it. Got lucky a couple of those passes were not intercepted. And now you see the pick six in this game and all the other numbers that Devin Witherspoon put up. Like Pete Carroll said, he's just getting started. And that's the scary thing is this kid is just – getting his feet wet. That's how talented of a football player that we're talking about here. So uh, I really like his chances as long as he can stay healthy. I like his shot at winning this award because this is not just a cover corner. And we saw that the other night. Again, I don't know if he's going to get any more sacks this year. I don't know how much the Seahawks are going to need to play him in nickel, but they're going to move him around. This is not, and this is not a knock on Richard Sherman, but this is not Richard Sherman. This is a totally different style player. Pete Carroll made the Troy Palomalu comparison. And even though he is not a safety, you can use him in a lot of ways. Like Pittsburgh used Palomalu all those years ago, where you can move him around. You can blitz him. He could come up and stick people in the run game. And so I think he's got an excellent chance because this is not just a cover corner. He can do a lot of other really fun stuff, a dynamic football player. And those are the kind of corners that typically – are going to be in contention to win this award. Although Sauce Gardner last year mainly did it just shutting people down. And there have been a few other examples of corners. Marshawn Lattimore won this award as well, winning it primarily on coverage. And and that's what corners are mostly looked at. But Witherspoon just has a very unique skill set. So as long as he can stay healthy with the talent he has, the players around him, and just the way he plays the game, I think he's got a great chance. Now, looking at a few other award possibilities for the Seahawks, Based on FanDuel's odds right now, Geno Smith, he's in the middle of the pack right now at plus 7,500 for MVP. You look at the raw stats right now, Nick, and as well as Geno Smith has played for most of these games in pretty tough circumstances, too, with mostly backup offensive linemen in front of him, he only has thrown five touchdowns. 
through the first four games. And so it feels like unless he has an explosion in touchdown passes, which certainly could happen with the weapons he has, but uh, this feels like an award that's going to be difficult for any Seahawk player to push for, even Geno Smith, who is potentially going to be a potentially going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback again the way he's playing, but just hasn't had the touchdown numbers yet to me to really emerge as an MVP uh, potential candidate. Yeah, when you just click around, you know, passing stats, because let's be real, it's more or less 90% of the time a quarterback award now. Um, he's very much in the middle of the pack. You know, top 12, top 13 in most categories, certainly a bit better than average, um, but not MVP level. Um, you got, of course, you know, Tua Tagovailoa's on a great start, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, of course, Brock Purdy is kind of hanging out. I'm not sure he's MVP just with the system he's in. Um, but, you know, Baker Mayfield's playing his butt off. Jared Goff's having a good – I mean, so lots of great quarterback play this year. Um, so it's not to really take away anything Geno Smith has done this year. It's just – it's a packed house trying to trying to win MVP with lots of really good quarterbacks, a lot of really good players. Christian McCaffrey as well should be on there. Um, but, yeah, Geno Smith the, – the Seahawks don't need him to be an MVP for them to have a great season. But, yeah, it, it's going to be tough with, with just some of the, the other names in the room. It is worth noting, though, that after the first four games, he really got hot last year. So if he was able to do that, get things rolling with Jackson Smith and Jigba to go with DK Metcalf and Tyler Locke at the tight ends they have, the running game the way that it is right now, it's still possible. It's very early that he could maybe play his way back into being a strong consideration for this award. But right now, it feels like he's kind of in the peripheral right now. And there's a lot of other quarterbacks that have really stepped up with more gaudy stats to this point. The one award that it's bothering me that a Seahawk is not listed right now is the Comeback Player of the Year Award. And Jordan Brooks coming back from that torn ACL in less than eight months and the numbers he's putting up, multiple sacks, he's got three of them on the season so far, he has been making impact plays in the run game. He's flying all over the field. You couldn't tell that this kid tore his ACL on the 1st of January. He looks like there was never an injury to begin with, and yet he isn't even listed with any odds, Nick, for the comeback player of the year. So this is the one that bothers me right now. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba plunging down to plus 5,000. I'm actually surprised that it's that high for his odds with the way that he has started. But this is the one where I'm like, why is Jordan Brooks not one of the front runners for this award of the numbers he's putting off coming off a severe injury? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, initially when the season started, everyone was on the DeMar Hamlin train for that, understandably so, which, you know, it's a fantastic story. Even, even if he doesn't play another significant down in his NFL career, it's still a great accomplishment what DeMar Hamlin has done. Um, and, but that's a lot, lost a little steam with him being a healthy scratch a few times. Um, so I think he's still <clears throat> the leader in the clubhouse. You got Tua Tagovailoa, Calvin Ridley. I've seen on on some odds too. Um, but that's kind of an interesting one. Is a year suspension <laughs> and being comeback player of the year. Um, but yeah, Jordan Brooks absolutely should be at least on the list, especially with how like people. I think it was Bobby Wagner, yeah, who said like people don't understand how amazing it is that he came back that quickly, and not only that, but yeah, playing at such a high level. Um, we're seeing ACL, just to give a college example, uh, Cam Rising, the quarterback for the Utah Utes, um, a little bit of a different knee injury, but he he tore it in the Rose Bowl around the same time as Jordan Brooks, and he still has not seen the field for the Utah Utes, um, and it's still, it might not be for another few weeks, so I mean, just kind of a comparison, and Jordan Brooks has made it back for training camp, made it for games, and he's making such a huge impact, so 
the fact that he's not even really a candidate at this point is embarrassing. Coming up next, we are going to play fact or fiction. We're going to be looking at some statistical oddities for the Seahawks coming out of the first four games and debating whether or not the player or group of players can sustain that success over the course of the entire season. Should be a really fun Blue Friday game day. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode of Locked on Seahawks is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Putting it simply, Bird Dogs can make you look and feel good. You won't want to take them off. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look, something we all need these days. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. Unlike regular shorts, Bird Dogs aren't made of a stiff, restricting cotton, keeping you comfortable year-round. Take my word for it, whether I'm heading off for a road trip to cover a Seahawks game or chilling in my house preparing for a podcast. I'm always sporting Bird Dog shorts and joggers because they are extremely comfortable. Don't restrict movement while keeping a slim look, and the sweat-wicking fabric keeps me cool and dry all day long, no matter the elements. I can't recommend Bird Dogs enough. You'll want to wear them all day, every day. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedInNFL or enter the promo code LockedInNFL at checkout for a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedInNFL for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up later today, make sure to check out. They have this on all the Locked on NFL channels right now. Locked on NFL kickoff live each Friday going live at 2 p.m. Eastern on every Locked on NFL YouTube channel. Hosts Tanitra Batiste, Jarvis Davis, and Kyle Krabs will break down every game on the NFL slate to get you ready for your team's matchup, your fantasy lineups, your betting angles, and more. Plus, get the in-depth local analysis from our stable of NFL hosts across the country who know these teams better than anyone else. Find Locked on NFL kickoff live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern on any Locked on NFL YouTube channel. All right, Nick, it is time for a Blue Friday game. It's been a while since we have played a game on Blue Friday. And with the Seahawks being on the bye, we've had a chance to comb through the stats through the first four games. And we found some statistical oddities coming out of the first four contests. And it's time to discuss and debate whether or not a certain player or group of players can sustain that success over the haul of an entire season. And we are going to start off with a really fun one here, Nick. Fact or fiction, Ken Walker III runs for 20 touchdowns. He is currently on pace for 21. He has scored five touchdowns on the ground already in the first four games. So we're talking Sean Alexander-type success for an entire season. Yeah, you mentioned Sean Alexander. He's the only Seahawk to eclipse that mark. Um, in fact, the MVP season for Sean Alexander was the only year the Seahawks have, have had a 20-plus rushing touchdown season, or even 16. That's the next highest by Sean Alexander. The highest one of uh, the Pete Carroll era was Marshawn Lynch in 2014 with 13, I believe. Um, so I'm going to go fiction. Um, not really because I don't think Ken Walker can do it, but just the... The, the mixture of this being a bit of an oddity with the early season, some of the other weapons the Seahawks have, you know, Geno Smith's going to sling it still and Zach Charbonnet still exists. So there, there's some, you know, some carry, you know, sharing going on. So I don't think it's, again, usually when I say this, it's not 
because I don't think this player has the capability. It's just the opportunity. Um, so I'm going to go fiction just strictly because Zach Charbonnet will get his carries and the Seahawks will open up the playbook and, and let Geno Smith kind of sling it as well. So just circumstantial, but he really does. If, if the Seahawks have had a running back in the last, you know, since Marshawn Lynch to be able to do it, it is uh, Ken Walker, but I just don't think he quite gets it, gets there. Yeah, I got to go fiction just because of the presence of Zach Charbonnet. At some point, he's going to get some of those touches down near the goal line, and he's going to score some touchdowns this season. It's going to happen. So I think it's going to be difficult for those two to combine for 20 rushing touchdowns in the entire season, let alone Ken Walker do it by himself. He's off to an incredible start. They've been much better in short yardage situations than they were a year ago. It's light and day difference but it's not going to net 20 plus rushing touchdowns. Next one here on defense factor fiction, Nick Bobby Wagner leads the NFL with 210 combined tackles. He is currently on pace for 212 with 50 tackles so far in the first four games, man, that is just an astronomical number. I feel like we've entered <clears throat> like the equivalent of the, the steroid era baseball, ninth, late 1990s, early 2000s home runs numbers for tackles with the extra game uh, that they have now to rack that up because that is just a crazy number. I'm going to go fiction. Um, I, I just don't see him maintaining that pace. Again, not a knock on Bobby Wagner's ability. It's just that that kind of stat tends to even out. His career high is 170, which he set in 2021 with 16 games. So, and he had uh, 140 last year with the Rams. So, you know, with 70 ta 170 tackles in 16 games in 2021, you add another one to that, maybe he gets to the 180 range. So that's still 30-something tackles short of that with a, such a stellar season, all pro, pro bowl. So I'm going to go fiction here. Um, I do think that he probably is among the, you know, top five tacklers in the NFL and has, you know, another stellar season, a pro bowl, maybe even all pro season. Um, but that is quite a pace to be on. So I'm going to go fiction. Yeah, I'm going to go fiction too, although I could see him getting close to this because they didn't run a ton of defensive plays the other night and he still had 17 tackles. I mean, he is just, he is a ball carrier magnet and he has been his entire career. And you know, he's thinking in the back of his mind, he had that knee injury he suffered late in the season in his, what was looking to be his final season with the Seahawks. And that allowed Jordan Brooks to beat him out for tackles. You know that's in the back of his mind. So I think it's possible that he could get to 200. I think it is definitely feasible. I just think 210 is maybe just a little bit too rich for me. But if there's a guy that could do it, it is Bobby Wagner, the tackling machine himself. On offense, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Factor Fiction, finishes with 265 receiving yards or less. He's on pace for 264 right now. Obviously not the number we were expecting to be mentioning after four games for the first round pick out of Ohio state. Woof. Yeah. Um, just it, it's, it, it, I, I don't see any way if he stays healthy. I mean, obviously if, if he gets hurt down the stretch and misses a lot of time, that that's, that's going to happen. But if he stays healthy the entire season or at least plays, you know, 14, 15 games, I don't see any way that this is that he finishes with 265 or less. I'm going to go fiction here. Just, I think he goes a lot more. I think there's a game. He has a game or two where he goes off for 80, 90 yards and a touchdown. He's going to have that. I think uh, I was listening to 710 uh, earlier this week about how this bye week could do wonders for Jackson Smith and Jibba. Get that wrist fully healthy. Maybe go back to his, to his college town. I think maybe go to the Ohio state game or something, just kind of relax and recharge and kind of, 
rejuvenate himself and come back even healthier than he was. And I think this bye week, um, you know, obviously the offensive line, there's issues there with, with, with health, but I think for him, he could be stand at most to benefit from this bye week. And I, I see him coming out strong and yeah, I'm not going to say he's going to go, go for 800, 900 yards anymore. Unfortunately that, that that's starting to become a, a bit of a taller task, but I could see 500 plus easily still. So I'm going to go fiction here. Yeah, I'm going to go fiction, and I'm going to add this. I think that we're going to see a four-game stretch at some point where he's going to eclipse 265 in a four-game stretch. I still am that high on Jackson Smith and Jigba. The Seahawks have just got to figure out how to maximize what he is good at. And right now, just dumping it off to him on quick passes at the line of scrimmage, I feel like they're wasting some of his best attributes. So they're going to get back to the drawing board. They're going to find ways to get him the football and further removed from that wrist injury too. I I would be stunned if he is under 300 yards this year. I think 500 is still very doable, but they got to find a way to get him rolling, which he hasn't been here early in the season. On defense, Factor Fiction, Jared Reed and Mario Edwards combined for 40 quarterback hits. They are currently on pace for 42 combined quarterback hits between the two of them. Wow, I, I believe uh, Daryl Taylor and uh, Chen Nwosu combined for for thirty nine last year, um, and, but obviously different, a little bit different positions. Forty. That's uh, whoo. I, I could see it. I think really that, that there's been a bit of a rejuvenation with with the interior uh, defensive line. Um, that is a juicy number. I'm gonna go fact here. I'm gonna go fact. I want to see this. Um, you know, this is more maybe this is more hopefully. You know, I I put this out in the universe. Um, I, I see a, re, a retooled and rejuvenated defensive line for the Seahawks. Mark Edwards Jr., I tweeted about this uh, earlier this week. What a, a diamond in the rough, a gem, you know, a, a shrewd, heady move by the front office to get him in the building for basically the, the veteran minimum. And he's become a top three you know, player as far as pass rushing on the team and tied for second in pressures. I mean, so he, he's, he's started off really well. And Jaron Reed seems to get more comfortable in his kind of newer role with the Seahawks. I, I'm going to go fact here. I'm going to try to project this as, as something that happens. I want to go fact, but <laughs> my brain is telling me absolutely not. So I'm going to go. It's, it's lofty. Jaron Reed has had a year with 20 plus quarterback hits. He had 24 of them in his third year with the Seahawks. So it, it is doable on his end. I just as great as Mario Edwards has played. And I think it's sustainable in the sense that he's going to be able to create pressures. I just don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be getting hits on the quarterback consistently enough to get to 40 between the two of them. I can see 30. I think that that's doable. I think 40 though, this is going to be a difficult, there's going to be a few games sprinkled in there where neither one of these guys get quarterback hits and eventually things are going to regress towards the mean a little bit, but 40 is a little bit rich for me, even in a fantasy world. Factor Fiction, Uchenna Nuosu and Boye Mafe combined for 16 or more sacks. Right now they are on pace for 16 between the two of them. Yeah, they each have two. And, you know, they, they certainly uh, talk about a get-right game for the pass rush against the Giants. Um, yeah, so obviously doing the math here, both of them need at least eight um, or combined for at least eight apiece there average-wise. I'm going to go fact. I, I really like Uchenna Nuoso. I think he's one of the more underrated pass rushers in the NFL. And he's, again, been one of the more consistent defenders for the Seahawks this year. And Boy Mafre continues to be a rising star on this defense. And you, you talk about, you know, with Devin Witherspoon now um, playing how he's playing. And you get Boy Mafre in that mix. 
Now, Derek Hall played really well. I mean, we got we got some pieces now that the last couple draft classes that are starting to put it together. Um, Eric Bullen, of course, as well um, on defense. But Boy Mafe really starting to come into his own. I'm not saying he's going to go for 10 sacks, but I could see like a, you know, what was it 16? So like an, a, a 10 and 6 kind of split. I, I could see it that way. Um, so I'm going to go fact here. I think that's a very reachable number. And I'm going to go fact as well, just because I think Nuosu can get to double-digit sacks this year. And I think Boye Mafe getting to six or more is more than doable with the way that he's rushing the passer right now. So I actually really like the odds of this one happening, maybe more so than any of these statistical oddities that we've looked at to this point. Geno Smith posts a 5-1 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. Currently, that's exactly where he's at with five touchdowns and one interception nick factor fiction boy that's like a aaron Rodgers mvp season kind of ratio um you're talking you know 30 touchdowns to six interception kind of ratio he last year had 30 and 11 i believe interceptions which is about 2.7 uh you know to one ratio i'm gonna go fiction here geno smith for all the great great things he's done in, in, in the seahawks uniform and boy he's just blown me away as the start of the last couple of years, he does tend to make some dangerous throws every once in a while and has some turnover worthy throws as, as pro football focus and some analysts like to like to like to, to peg. So I'm going to go fiction here. I don't think he's going to go completely falling off a cliff here, but that's a really tough pace to to keep on with, especially if you're going to stay aggressive and push downfield. It's going to happen eventually. I can see him staying three to one, which is still a very healthy ratio. Yeah, I'm going to go fiction too. I think it's doable to be in that three and a half to one range because I do think he has cut down at least early this season compared to the second half last year. He has not had near as many of those throws where you kind of gasp a little bit like, oh, you threw it into coverage or that was a throw you shouldn't have made. There's been a few of them. Every quarterback is going to throw those. It's the NFL, but I think he's doing a better job of that. I could see him cut his interceptions down a little bit, but like you said, five to one, That that is a really – elite ratio that very rarely happens and i just can't see it even with the weapons that geno smith has our last one real quick factor fiction devin witherspoon amasses 16 or more pass breakups as a rookie he currently right now has three of them in his first three games well this uh this i think was the second easiest fact for me after the the boy mafe uh chenoosu uh, uh, sack total because yeah, I he's just got that it factor, man. He just got that that instinct. And uh, Richard Sherman had two seasons above 16. Reek Woolen last year reached 16 as a rookie. Um, granted, Witherspoon started a little bit behind the eight ball health wise, but I, I see him getting 16. And again, that's not only his game, like we mentioned, like you mentioned with his defensive rookie of the year thing. He is such a dynamic defensive back. It's not to call him just a cover corner on the on the outside is doing him a disservice. Because he's not, he's a slot, he's just so dynamic, which might lead to more opportunities. It's kind of weird. It's kind of it might lead to more opportunities for defensive or passes defense, but it might also not, but it also might give him more opportunities for sacks and tackles for loss than other corners. But I'm gonna go I'm gonna go fact. I think that he reaches 16 like Reek Wollum did last year. I'm gonna go fiction, and I think he comes just short, comes up just short. And the big reason why is eventually quarterbacks are gonna wise up. And this is the issue though. Okay, I'm going to throw to Reek Woolen now on the other side. And that's the dilemma that quarterbacks are going to be facing against this Seahawks secondary now with a healthy Witherspoon and a healthy Woolen. So 
there's still going to be some targets. Quarterbacks are going to have to throw his way, but I think eventually it is going to reach a point where quarterbacks are going to, they might be more willing to test Woolen than they will be to test Witherspoon, which is crazy. And that might limit this a little bit. I definitely think he gets double digits. I think 13 or 14 is doable. 16 just maybe a little bit too sweet for me in this particular simulation. Coming up next, we are going to look at our picks to click from the first quarter of the season. And with Nick's intricate scoring system, we're going to see who has the edge right now, revisit some of those games that worked out, ones that didn't so much. Don't go away. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks is really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. This week on Prize Picks, I've got Devontae Adams surpassing 100 receiving yards with Jimmy Garoppolo back in the lineup. Prize Picks is an absolute blast each week, and it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without any hassle and land quick winnings. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use the code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use the code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined on today's show by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Over the course of the season, every Friday, we dish out our picks to click on offense and defense. Nick and I always make a selection of both sides of the football, and we try to see who has the upper hand. And there's a bit of an arbitrary system at work here, and I will give Nick the credit. He can explain how he's put this together. But now that we're at the bye week, we're going to look back at a glance at those first four weeks, the picks to click, the ones that worked out, the ones that didn't, and who ultimately has won so far in a fantasy-style setting. So, Nick, I'm going to dish it to you before we look at the grades and how, sir, you have put together this complicated yet arbitrary scoring system for our picks to click. Well, first off, Corbin, it, it, it takes a truly st- astounding uh, free time, a free amount of time. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, so I basically have set it up kind of like how fantasy, uh, I play Yahoo Fantasy. So I, I, I kind of set up in that kind of similar um, scoring metric. However, I kind of toned down the impact that running backs had because otherwise we'd just be picking, you know, We'd be fighting over who got to pick Ken Walker the third every time. So uh, I've toned it down a little bit with running <clears throat> running backs where it's half a point per 10 yards rushing. Um, you still get the six points for a rushing touchdown like you do in fantasy because I think rushing touchdowns are you know still at a premium. Um, and you get an extra five bonus points if they get 100 yards, which I don't think we've had one yet um, this year. So for, for rushing, for passing, even though we have not picked a Geno Smith yet this year, same thing, you know, four, yeah, four points for a passing touchdown. Um, minus three for interception. So pretty much straight, you know, fantasy kind of scoring minus, you know, I think I halved the the running back uh, impacts as, as far as that to kind of tone it down receptions. Um, we're a half PPR league for the U fantasy, for you fantasy guys, a half point per reception if you pick a, a wide receiver. The tricky one, Corbin, was when you picked Phil Haynes. 
And I, I'm like, okay, well, I can't just give the dude a bagel. You know, that, that's, that's not fair. And he actually played really well that game that you picked him. So I ended up going for uh, offensive lineman. If we want to pick an offensive lineman again, um, I picked um, one or zero pressures allowed is four points. And a pro football focus grade of over 75 is four points. So um, I kind of went with, I know that's kind of silly, but um, I, I don't want to give you a goose egg there for picking Phil Haynes. And it was a good pick that week. So I actually got, you got four points. He only allowed one pressure that week. So um, you got four points for that one. I think he had like a 70, like three or something grade, but so it really, and on defense quarter of a point for each tackle, uh, two points for a tackle for loss, four points for a sack, six points for a, an interception and a six points for a defensive touchdown. So if you had picked Devin Witherspoon last week, you probably would have automatically won. The I think you would have won the season probably <laughs> with that game. So I know really complicated, but I, I just tried to stick with kind of the fantasy scoring mixed in some offensive line fun in there too. So let's look back at our picks to click so far this year, Nick. And looking back at week one, uh, the advantage went to me in week one because Phil Haynes and Julian Love, even though Love gave up some plays, he also had quite a few tackles, had, I believe, two pass breakups in that game. So Zach Charbonnet and Jaron Reed had kind of quiet first games against the Rams. And then in week two, I picked Tyler Lockett, and he had a monster game with two touchdowns. So I get the 18 points there. And Draymond Jones had a sack, so I get six and a half there. So really early on, this was becoming kind of a lopsided affair. But Nick, to your credit, in week three, you went with Ken Walker the third against Carolina, and he had 97 rushing yards. I believe he scored two touchdowns that game. So you get the 19 points there. I did have Devin Witherspoon, who had a couple of really nice plays on defense. I wish I would have picked him the week after so that I could have like <laughs> 80 points on here, but I still got 6.75 points in that game. And then on the uh, week four, Colby Parkinson, Zach Charbonnet, Mario Edwards, I got 6.75 points. Uh, your selections had kind of a rough day in week four with Charbonnet not getting many opportunities and Jamal Adams getting knocked out on the first drive of the game. But Overall, I'm in the lead right now, 46.75 points compared to 31.25. You have made some ground up, but Mario Edwards, thanks to you, Super Mario, I am extending my lead a little more coming into the bye with that performance with the strip sack. Yeah, and you can see here, you know, one great game can kind of flip the script a little bit. I, I, I will try to to stay away from just picking Ken Walker the third every game. Maybe we should come up with a rule on how many times we can pick a player, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's been fun. It's kind of a, kind of a keeping with, you know, the fantasy flavor with uh, just, you know, root, I have individual rooting interests now in the game itself. And man, Jamal Adams killed me because he, he was trending so well. He almost got that sack to start the game against the giants, made a couple nice plays and, really was trending towards having a really nice, uh, you know, 2023 debut and unfortunately got knocked out uh, with a concussion. Hopefully he can make it back quickly, but yeah. So a fun way to, to kind of score it here. And, and hopefully, you know, lots of ball game left. We got, we got, uh, was it 13 left? So um, plenty of, plenty of ball game left, but a, a fun start. And at the end of the season, when we look at these picks to click from week one, all the way to week 18 and, hopefully we'll have some playoff games in there too. But when we go back and look at this, there will be some bragging rights, maybe some awards that'll be coming 
the way of the person that had the biggest game. So right now you would be the winner with Ken Walker, the third 19 points in that performance against Carolina. I came up just short there with Lockett's 18 point performance in Detroit in that overtime win, but we will have a winner for the highest scoring game. Um, we're going to have some awards that aren't going to be fun either, like who laid the most goose eggs. And looking at that list right now, I think there was only one player, and it was mine. It was Colby Parkinson last well, week. Yeah, had a complete dud. No catches, holding <laughs> penalty. So that was the first time that I completely laid an egg. So we're going to be giving out a, I guess, a raspberry, so to speak, to whoever had the most of those at the end of the season. And of course, who had the most total points in a combined fantasy setting, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's it's really the scoring system has really made this much more. Uh, I'm going to be putting a lot more time into debating who I'm going to pick each <laughs> week. And maybe I will go with more offensive linemen moving forward. And Evan Brown may be getting some love with the way that he's playing, but um, certainly that makes this a much more fun affair when you can add in defensive players and you can add in offensive linemen. I don't normally go there, but Phil Haynes in that game, I was really excited to see how he held up against Aaron Donald in week one. So for him to have the game that he did, even though the Seahawks lost that game, uh, certainly it was exciting. We will have more of those picks to click coming up next week. We don't have them this week. I guess we could have had like a buffet pick to click or something like that, but with it being a bye week, the Seahawks having no game, we will have the picks to click coming back next week. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode. We will be back on Monday. Rob Rang and I teaming up. We'll answer your mailbag questions and we will start to look forward to the upcoming matchup against Joe Burrow and the Bengals in Cincinnati. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.